With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Yes, welcome to After 9. I'm your host, Eric Allen. And uh, for the next half hour, our guest will be Ted Price, Ted Price and Ann Laughlin. And we'll be talking about the Miracle Theatre production of uh, On Golden Bond which will be taking place March 23rd to April 17th at the Prince George Playhouse. So I'll have you online there, Ted. Yes, we're right here. Hello. And, and Good morning. So. Good morning. Okay, uh, just to get right into this, I just want to, uh, I was kind of thinking we should do sort of a history of uh, the Miracle Theater. And, you know, I see it got started, I think, in uh, 2015 and uh, up till and including today. Could you maybe just give me some background? Sure. Well, um, in November of 2015, uh, we launched Miracle Theatre with a production of Miracle on South Division Street. Uh, that's actually where Miracle Theatre got its name. That was our first show. And um, the production was donated to the uh, children's programs at the Salvation Army Food Bank and 27 Million Voices. And it, it generated over $42,000 for those two nonprofits. Hmm. And because it was successful. I mean, that was just going to be a one-time thing, but it was so successful that um, people said, oh, you need to do that again. So um, the next one uh, we did was um, for Spirit of the North Healthcare Foundation, and uh, it contributed to the purchase of equipment for the new breast imaging uh, center there, and it was called The Last Romance, and it raised over $52,000. So then again, there was some people pulling on our sleeve, like, okay, well, do, do another. Do one for us. Do one for us. <laughs> so we did. Um, we did the fabulous Lipitones the following year. Uh, that was for the United Way, and it raised over $50,000. And then um, I guess it was Noreen Rustad came to Ted and I and said, yeah. would you consider doing a show for uh, an endowment with the... Prince George Community Foundation. And both Ted and I are firm believers in endowments. We think that's just such a good thing for all charities to have. So indeed, we did um, another show called Halfway There, and that show raised over $84,000, and it, it went towards a new endowment called the Children of Prince George Fund. And we were really pleased to get behind that because... Um, Maureen, Maureen and, uh, and the staff and the board, well, they were really open to all sorts of ideas of what we might like to contribute. But this idea of helping children in the community who have all sorts of big challenges, uh, we got behind that really easy. This isn't for enrichment, but this is for kids who have health challenges, um, uh, intellectual challenges, just challenges in the circumstances. They may just plain not have enough to eat. So uh, the community was really responsive to that. That was great. And then uh, just before the pandemic hit in February of 2020, we did another one, and it went to the same fund, and that production of Birds and the Bees, it raised over 106000 And so that meant that that fund was over 200000 And we were told by the Community Foundation just this past fall that that fund was now big enough that it granted out over $23,000 in November to three uh, charities in town 
that look after the needs of, you know, children in need. And, you know, that fund now, I mean, it's there in perpetuity. So, um, yeah, so we just firm, firm believers in endowments because uh, um, that's the, the result. Well, that's certainly uh, somewhere in the area of $300,000 for the five productions, and uh, that's an incredible uh, success story, at least as far as I'm concerned. And uh, I'm kind of curious, just how do you get one of these productions off the ground? We could maybe just use uh, the one you're bringing in now, Golden Pond. Just, you know, when you get the idea uh, and you got to get it together, you have to get the actors and that. Could you just sort of give us an idea of this? What do you have to go through to get it to production? Sure. Well, um, we're actually in the theater profession and, um, you know, have been for a long time now. So that puts us at a pretty big advantage. And um, what we do first is decide, well, what play will the community be really receptive to? So start with, start kind of on that basis. Then you look at, well, to do this play, what sort of expenses involved and what are the technical demands and um, you know, don't want to bite off more than you can chew or get yourself kind of overextended. So uh, you try to find a real sensible play and then the next thing, of course, that's really crucial is the performers. So um, because we've been in a profession so long, um, what we tend to do is we just uh, uh, hire our favorite actors from across Canada. And um, there's there's actually now, uh, like, a, every time we post the opportunity to do one of these projects, we get a great response. Um, it, when we first started, it was the response was basically based on the play or people who've worked with us. But um, now we're getting around in the Canadian theatre community about what Miracle Theatre does, what we try to do to help the community. And, um, you know, it's surprising how many actors respond to that as well as the actual production the material we're doing. And then, of course, there's the set design and the publicity campaign, and then with these endeavors, we also have a donation drive that goes in tandem with it and raffles, and we all combine this together to try to uh, maximize the amount of the donation we can give to the, the nonprofit that's receiving all the revenues. Mm-hmm. So the actors themselves, coming from different places across Canada, uh, where do they actually do their, uh, <clears throat> you know, acting to set this up till it's ready to roll? Do they do it here, or do you do it somewhere else? Or no, we we fly them into Prince George, and then we have uh, they rehearse six days a week for uh, pretty much three weeks, just just shy of three weeks. Uh, and then we uh, we start the run, and the run tends to run for about three and a half weeks. We're looking at around uh, 25 performances. And uh, then the show closes, and um, they all go back to where they came from, or in some cases on to yet another theater where they have their next uh, production. I mean, some people don't realize that when you decide to do a play, you uh, obtain the right to... What basically it amounts to is you get the right to the words of the play. You just get words. And it's the director's job 
to make those words the finished product. So in the rehearsal hall, that's what the actors and Ted do, is basically bring to life the words on a piece of paper. <laughs> and, and Seth, say, there's, there's no sort of uh, um, Amazon or Ikea for theater. You can't, you can't order up your set or your publicity campaigns or whatever. It's all done right here in Prince George, um, all the work. Uh, as Anne said, the, the, uh, you get sent the words and then you're on your own. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So these people coming in from different parts of Canada that and be here for, well, it could be six weeks or something, uh, presumably getting paid. That's uh, kind of an expensive endeavor. Um, you know, in a way, I'm, I'm sorry to say it's not. Um, the, the remuneration for professional performers in Canada, oh, it's so modest. It's a really tough way to make a livelihood. Now, there's a few exceptions, obviously, like big-name people in movies and TV. Mm-hmm. Um, they, of course, get uh, paid very well. But, you know, people who perform for symphonies, for theaters, for dance companies, boy, it's a tough way to make a living because the earnings are so modest. So um, the, actual, um, the actual cost of the talent... Is is not great, and and like a lot of these people, they they have master's degrees in theater, or years and years of experience, but you know they are committed to um, their talent, and uh, they just want to, you know, be uh, on stage doing their work. And some of them, of course, um, where they actually can make some money is in the movies or TV commercials, but. Um doing uh, stage work, uh, that's <laughs> pretty modest. Actually, all of them do have pretty extensive um, resumes in uh, TV, film, commercials. Um, but you know, so many actors, they really prefer the theater to do their acting. Um, they find it more gratifying. Not all of them, but, um, you know, you even see sometimes uh, big-name uh, movie people will do a show on Broadway or London's West End because they just want to get back up on the stage. It means a big cut in, cut in pay, but if they love the role and they love the theater, they sometimes give that up and go back onto the boards. But in terms of expenses, I mean, the, the actors and, of course, the royalties, those are the, those are the two big things that um, uh, are expenses. We do have to um, pay for those things. But, uh, you know, everything else, um, we basically try to, try to scrounge up and beg and, um, and, and, you know, and the community is wonderful. The businesses, and um, they just, they come forward and uh, participate with us. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I was kind of curious how that worked because it seemed like quite an undertaking and uh, there's a certain amount of risk involved there that... Uh, there's risk, all right, because you know, Ted and I, um, we basically finance this uh, on our retirement um, money, and um, we put it out there, and um, uh, yeah, in terms of trying to get the actors, you know, uh, here uh, and working, and um, and the other thing is when you um, with to get the actors, you actually you have to post what they call the equity bond. You have to guarantee that you're not going to get actors here and then um, not pay them. 
Mm -hmm. So even that, um, I mean, you get the money back if they get paid and you and everything's fine. But I mean, for this production that we're doing on Golden Pond, that equity bond we have to send off to Toronto. It was thirteen thousand dollars, mm. and if if the actor if we pay the actors and do what we're supposed to do, we'll get that thirteen thousand dollars back. But um, uh, that's something that uh, indeed it's a risk. That's scary right now because of uh, some theaters over the last while have tried to launch productions and then have had to stop them because of COVID. And then, of course, if you stop the work, you lose your bond. Mm. So um, it, that's, that was not the sole reason by any means, but that was a factor why we postponed on Golden Pond. It was supposed to start in the middle of February, but now it's going to start the last part of March because the numbers, the COVID numbers are going the wrong way. And we didn't want the public to be worried about attending. And we also didn't want to put the uh, project in financial jeopardy. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, well, I can see that. That's uh, <clears throat> So now you're up and ready to roll. And uh, I think it's March 23rd. You're going to have uh, Golden Pond. 23rd till when was it? The, uh... April 17th. And so we have... We have um, performances every night of the week except for Monday nights and uh, there were also 2 p.m. Sunday matinees and um, this year the um, performances were going to be using the Prince George Playhouse yeah normally we do these productions in art space and uh, books and company you know art space above books and company and Owen Lovers that's his business and they're amazing to us um, they have, for five years running, donated two months rent-free use of art space. And, of course, that tremendous savings, that just goes to the charity that's the beneficiary. Mm -hmm. But um, this year, because of the, of the COVID, uh, art space is very small. And um, uh, we felt we needed to go somewhere much bigger where we could have lots of social distancing, uh, big-time ventilation, and that people would feel uh, safer. And, uh, like, we looked forward to the prospect of going back to art space, and a lot of people said that they were sorry we weren't there because they've, uh, we, we turned it into a theater with rake seating and everything, and people have become quite fond of it as a performance space. But uh, we really felt the Playhouse was the best bet with the current uh, health situation. Okay, so then... <clears throat> You're saying that future uh, productions would probably be of a size that you could still uh, work out of art space? Well, yes. Uh, it, it actually works really well in art space. When we did the first show there, um, we were uh, concerned that people <laughs> wouldn't know what we're up to. Like, what do you mean you're going to do a play in a bookstore? <laughs> and we, we didn't realize that a lot of people didn't hadn't been to art space and didn't realize what it had to offer. And uh, also, they didn't envision that we would actually turn it into a theater. Mm. So uh, once uh, we'd done the first one or two shows there, uh, people became quite pleasantly surprised at what we converted it into. And, uh, of course, it has big financial advantages by being uh, a donation rent-free. Oh, that's Thanks good. Yeah, I think, Ted, we'll take a break here, and then I'll uh, get back to you. 
Join us each week for Music and the Spoken Word, featuring the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square, the longest-running, continuous weekly network broadcast in the world, celebrating over 90 years on the air. Each episode features modern and traditional arrangements of spiritual, patriotic, classical, and contemporary music, and a timely, inspiring message. Music and the Spoken Word with the Tabernacle Choir. Now heard Sunday mornings at 8 here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Hey, Elisa Piovunga. Hi, my name is Elisa P. I'm a singer and spokesperson for the 2022 edition of the Rendezvous de la Francophonie. The RVF also offers many contests with amazing prizes. And hurry, you have until March 31st to vote for a chance to win a trip for two with Air Canada. It's easy. Visit rvf.ca. Join me in celebrating Les Rendezvous de la Francophonie. Are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250-617-7467, and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250-617-7467, or check out our website, pivotleader.com. At Pivot Leader, we have help you grow, train, and sell your business. Forecast from Environment Canada, mainly cloudy today, a 60% chance of flurries with a risk of freezing rain this morning, a 30% chance of showers this afternoon, winds from the south at 20 and a high of 6. Partly cloudy tonight, fog patches developing, south winds becoming light this evening, a low of minus 1. For Wednesday, cloudy, a 30% chance of flurries or showers in the morning and a high of 3. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. And Ted, you were talking about the advantages of uh, art space? Yeah, yeah, no, it, <laughs> the fact that it's a donated space to us for two months, rent free, that's the big advantage. But uh, what what's really pleasing is that it's very intimate. People are very close to the action, and uh, we get a lot of very positive response to that, as opposed to a very big venue where you're a great distance from the, the actors and you don't see or experience it at quite the same uh, level of intensity. And uh, I don't know, the comedy seems funnier and the, the, the touching, moving moments seem more moving. And uh, people have become fans of it. But, I mean, the, um, I, I mean, they're perfectly happy, it seems to me, going to the Playhouse. So um, we'll be over there. So something that has come up, uh, we got a call about it yesterday, actually, is the parking at the Playhouse. Now, people driving by, they've seen at the Playhouse that the, the city has sold off the front parking lot to the facility. But um, what we'd like people to know, that that parking lot hasn't been replaced and now the parking for the building is at the side of the playhouse, the side that you can't see from the highway. But uh, there'll be more than enough parking stalls uh, available for this event between the uh, 50% capacity and the fact that so many stalls have been replaced at the other side of the building. The parking will be fine. Oh, that's good to know, yeah. Parking's always a problem. So, <clears throat> Just one question I meant to ask you before. When we're talking about performers, do we have any local performers in this Golden Pond? We do. We do, pleased to say. Okay. Well, there's the, the role of Billy, who's um, the 
the young, what would you say? The, well, the, he, the, he, he, he becomes a foster grandchild, child. actually. And um, so what we have done is we have double-passed that role. We always do that when we're dealing with youngsters. And so uh, we have two boys, local boys, um, going to share that role, um, Nick Hillian, and the other one is Jack Westerlaken. And so those two boys, um, uh, 11 and 12, they're going to be sharing that role. And then there's another um, local person who has um, a role, um, Jill Botello. Um, some people know him from years ago when he was in broadcast, actually, <laughs> over at CKPG, I believe. Um, and he has been doing our voiceovers behind the scenes for a couple of plays. And we were just waiting for a chance where there would be a, a part that um, we could give to him. So he will also be seen on stage. And he plays the fiancé of Ethel Norman's daughter. Oh, yes. uh, Ethel Norman, they're the leading characters, you know, the, the, the very senior citizens who are the leading characters of the play. And uh, he plays their future son-in-law, uh, which uh, the Norman, the old fella, gives a pretty big and fierce run for his money. <laughs> gives him a lot of gives him a lot of bad times, but it's that's where a lot of the comedy is. So I'm uh, just again now on uh, <clears throat> when you're looking for a play to produce. Uh, you guys just kick it around till you come up with an idea. Or just uh, like a Golden Pond, it looks like an ideal production to be putting on. <clears throat> Quite a number of people in Prince George, I'm sure, are going to really enjoy it. I'm just kind of curious how you arrived at actually producing that show. Yeah, well, um, you know, several things. You, one factor um, wasn't the major one, but it just seemed to make it so right. Is that all the earnings from this play are going to the hospice. And uh, in the play, uh, the, the couple that are the leading characters, they are getting very elderly, and the husband especially is not dealing with it very well, whereas that tremendous amount of the comedy comes from him being so grumpy about hitting his very senior years. So it's really really such that. an appropriate fit um, in that respect. And then uh, it has a lot of title recognition. And uh, we're finding the people, uh, right, right away, when you say we're doing Golden Pond, right away they pay attention. Oh, I've heard of that, or I saw it years ago. Uh, or there's a kind of, uh, it's, the reputation precedes it. So that made it really helpful. It's also affordable play to do in terms of producing it. The set, the cast, is all manageable. So all these things kind of play into it. But the most important thing of all is that the material, the play, will speak to our community. And that's the basis, the most important basis of any uh, production we try to, to do, we decide to do. And um, I, think, I think we've got it right. I think people are going to be really keen to see this one. Well, we were at Studio Fair in November, and... Um uh, people were real keen. We actually sold um, Christmas gift vouchers at that time, and um, over 300 people bought those. And um, <laughs> interestingly enough that we're doing this, uh, as we're talking right now, um, the tickets 
are actually going to be going on sale in about five to ten minutes at Books and Company. <laughs> this, this is the launch, and apparently um, there's been a lot of interest. A lot of people have been calling them, and they expect that there will be a lot of people down there trying to get their tickets. And I've been telling people like not to put it off for this show because because of that um, ticket or the, the title recognition, and also because um, we've only got um, three weeks. Usually we have about we have tickets on sale for about three months, and uh, everything's compressed because of the COVID situation. So um, you know we're only a couple of weeks away from the first performance. So people they can't dawdle on this one. Yeah, I was just thinking. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, another thing that people in the Prince George area can relate to: uh, this show being about people on a lake, and there's lots of people that live in lakefront property in this area. Uh, the other curiosity I have is, uh, it seems to me in the show, or I read somewhere that uh, they have a loon there that greets them when they get back to the lake or something. Are we going to have a loon in the show? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we tried to have some loon auditions, but the turnout wasn't so great. <laughs> no, uh, uh, the, the loon, I mean, they're offstage sound effects. So we don't actually have to have any trained loons on the set. And the, the, the play is actually quite different from the movie. Oh, yes. It, it started as a play and was a huge hit. And uh, because of the success of it as a stage play, uh, it went to Hollywood. And then when Hollywood got ahead of it, or hold of it, rather, they changed it quite a bit. Um, you know, the big difference is um, the the movie is a lot more abrasive, and um, like the language is coarser, and uh, everyone's angrier <laughs> than in the play. Um, I actually prefer the play. That was the the creator, the writer's first inspiration. And then he turned it into a movie. Mind you, it was sure a successful movie, and he won an Academy Award. Yes, he did. Yeah. Yeah, for <clears throat> for that as a, a screenplay. Okay, uh, I wonder if we can get Anne just to go through the location and ticket sales and where we get them online just once more so we can get it out there. Tickets are on sale, uh, well, in about two minutes, and um, they're available at Books and Company. And you can also order by phone, um, it, by phoning Books and Company, 563-6637. And um, the, the play runs... March 23rd, April 17th, nightly, except for Monday nights, and two shows on Sundays. Okay, that's great. I'm really happy to have you people on today and give us all the information on your production of On Golden Pond. I'll be getting a ticket along with one for my wife, and I'm sure that's be taking place all over town you know, fairly quickly. So thank you again very much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Eric, for, for inviting us. Thank you. It was great to do it. Businesses in the electoral areas of the regional district of Fraser Fort George interested in giving their buildings a facelift can now apply for a one-time grant. Eligible businesses can receive a 50% reimbursement for up to $5,000 to complete exterior improvements such as building facades, signage, murals, architectural features, siding, lighting, and awnings. More information on the regional district's facade improvement grant is available at rdffg.bc.ca. The application deadline is May 31st. 
CBC's hit television show Dragon's Den is currently holding virtual editions, looking for the next big thing in business. Dragon's Den gives aspiring entrepreneurs the opportunity to pitch their business to a panel of wealthy Canadian business moguls, the Dragons. Successful pitchers will have a chance to earn real investment from the Dragons' own pockets. They're looking for the biggest and best deals from coast to coast. To apply or for more information, visit the website cbc.ca slash dragonsden. The schedule has been confirmed for the 2022 BKT Tires and OK Tire World Women's Curling Championship presented by Nature's Bounty. Ticket packages and single draw tickets for the tournament are available through curling.ca slash 2022 World Women slash tickets and at the CN Center box office. Featuring teams from 13 countries, the 2022 BKT Tires and OK Tire World Women's Curling Championship presented by Nature's Bounty, March 19th to 27th, at CN Center. The Prince George Potter's Guild is excited to be offering classes again this spring. Beginner Wheel Level 1 will take place Tuesday evenings from 6.30 to 9.30 starting May 10th. No previous experience is required for this six-week course. Cost is $285 with registration available through the PG Potter's Guild classes link under Gallery and Shop at Studio2880.com. The Beginner Wheel Level 1 course starting May 10th from the Prince George Potter's Guild. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back uh, with new guests now. We have Peter Ewart. He's going to be giving us a kind of overall uh, look into the electoral changes that the government and B.C. elections are looking at. And then after that, we'll discuss that for a while, and then we'll have... Uh, James Steidel and Herb Martin on, and we'll just kind of kick around what's, you know, that uh, mill, uh, cutting the shift in the Plateau Mill in Vanderhoof and forest industry and job cuts in general and that type of thing. So we'll start off with you, uh, Peter, if you want to bring us up to speed on what's going on out there. Uh, yeah, well, uh, what's happening is the Electoral Boundaries Commission is uh, uh, going to be touring the province in the next uh Several months, and the electoral the, the boundaries commission was set up to be an independent, uh, nonpartisan body appointed by the provincial government, and it includes the BC's chief electoral officer, a, a judge, a retired judge of the Supreme Court, and another person nominated by uh, the speaker of the legislative assembly in, in consultation with the premier and the leader of the opposition. In any case, in any case, electoral boundaries uh, are automatically reviewed by the commission after every second election. Now, BC, as uh, people know, BC has a population of about 5.3 million people, and we have currently 87 seats and 87 MLAs in the, in the in, sitting in the legislature. Some of the ridings in BC are small by area, or only a few city blocks. You know, like down in the Vancouver area. Others, like Peace River North, are large, 170,000 square kilometers. You know, and since, you know, one of the things that's happened since the last Boundary Commission review is that uh, upwards of 500,000 people have come to the province, and most have been in the uh, lower mainland region. So anyway, the, in anticipation of that, the government has authorized the commission to possibly add up to six new seats to the legislature. You know, like, because some see the need for more seats 
needs to be added to accommodate the uh, population increases in the ridings. And then others look at ridings where um, the population numbers are, are substantially below the provincial average, and in that case, to possibly eliminate ridings. So I think one of the things that's important is to look at how, to, how the Electoral Boundaries Commission, what's, how do they consider what should be uh, the number of seats and where they're established. And the usual measure for a number of voters in the riding is to allow no more than a 25% deviation, either above or below the provincial average. The thinking goes that if the average riding in the province has, say, 40,000 voters, the number of voters in a particular riding should not go either more than 25% above that number, or, on the other hand, 25% below that number. So that's an important uh, consideration. If it goes above, then a riding should maybe be added to the region to accommodate that increase in number of voters. However, if it goes below 25% of that uh, 40,000 average, then maybe that riding should be eliminated and amalgamated with another riding. And at the core of this idea is um, the principle that everyone's vote should be reasonably equal in weight. For example, if one riding A, you know, say in the, that's in the north, has only 15,000 voters, and, an, and another riding, say B, B is, is in Vancouver, has 45,000, the argument is that the votes of riding A, those 15,000 voters weigh more or count more than riding B, and that this is unfair. But then there's an, uh, the other principle that, that is used by the commission in assigning seats. When assigning seats, other factors need to be taken into account besides population numbers, such as the geography of the ridings, the means of communication, and means of transportation in the riding. And this is a big issue for much of BC. For example, there are a number of ridings in the north that are huge, that are larger in square kilometers than many countries in Europe. Um, when an area, of, when a riding gets that big, then it can become impossible for an MLA to adequately represent it. Just, you know, you get stymied by the distances. So the argument goes, you need to accommodate, accommodate the fact that the riding will have substantially fewer voters than one in the lower mainland. And that's only fair for the rural area, especially the rural and northern areas. Thus, you have these two principles often clashing with one another, the whole idea of the deviation from the average and then the whole question of, of accommodating according to geography. So un until recently, according to the commission rules, which were set by a previous government, there's 17 seats have been reserved for parts of the southern interior and north, specifically the Caribou-Thompson region, Columbia-Kootenay region, and the north regions. You know, so these, um, it was a previous liberal government made these 17 seats a requirement when they were in power. In other words, the seats in the region could not be reduced to any less than that. And the Liberals say they did this to guarantee fair access and representation for rural communities of the region. But the, the current NDP government has, has now removed that requirement, leaving it open for the Commission to possibly eliminate some seats 
that have too voter too few voters in them. And this especially applies to our area of the interior and north. Um, at the same time, to balance that, it has also allowed the commission to okay electoral districts with populations either outside either the plus or minus range. So it's not necessarily a given that some or any of those 17 seats will be eliminated. However, the Liberals say that removing the 17-seat requirement for the southern interior and north is a political move, especially because eight of the ten seats in the north are held by Liberals and are the most likely to be eliminated under the new uh, Electoral Boundaries Commission rules. Uh, the elimination would favor the governing NDP. Yeah. Okay, Peter, i get you to hold that thought. We're going to take a break here. Heighten your executive performance with Vantage Point's Executive Lab. This transformational program will elevate your leadership skills to engage your board, staff, and volunteers and move your team towards your organizational goals. Registration and full details are available through the Executive Lab link under training at thevantagepoint.ca. The workshop runs seven consecutive Thursdays starting May 5th. Application deadline is March 24th. Vantage Point's Executive Lab, transforming not-for-profit leadership at thevantagepoint.ca. Your Prince George Public Library is proud to be a part of Hear Our Words, a storytelling showcase. Open to Northern BC Indigenous youth aged 5 to 29, this year's story submissions must be related to the theme Honoring Elders. Prizes will be awarded in five categories, short story, poetry, music or song, visual art, and performance art. Entry submission forms and full details are available at weavingwords.org. Here are words, a storytelling showcase. Submission deadline is May 13th. The 2022 BKT and OK Tire World Women's Curling Championship is March 19th to 27th at CN Center. Full event, weekend, and single-day packages, as well as single-draw tickets, are all available for purchase online through curling.ca and at the CN Center box office. All fans, athletes, volunteers, and event staff will need to provide proof of full vaccination. The 2022 BKT and OK Tire World Women's Curling Championship, March 19th to 27th, at CN Center. Forecast from Environment Canada, mainly cloudy today, a 60% chance of flurries with a risk of freezing rain this morning, a 30% chance of showers this afternoon. Wind from the south at 20 and a high of 6. Partly cloudy tonight, fog patches developing, south winds becoming light this evening, a low of minus 1. For Wednesday, cloudy, a 30% chance of flurries or showers in the morning and a high of 3. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. Peter, I'm going to let you finish that thought that you were, uh, or that topic or whatever it was you were talking on, and then I'm going to bring on James and Herb, and they can give us a few uh, ideas on this themselves. Sure. Yeah, as I was saying, the the Liberals say that removing the 17th seat requirement for the the interior and north is a political move, uh, and uh, that such an elimination would favor the governing NDP. but um, the NDP, on the other hand, say that it is not political, that they are simply ensuring that, that things are fair according to basic democratic principles and that the Liberals are being political by putting in the 17-seat requirement. In any case, some would say about both the Liberals and the NDP, it's a case of the pot calling the kettle black. Uh, you know, my own view on this thing is, uh, on this issue is, uh, I, I would like to see leaving the 17 interior and northern seats alone. Don't don't eliminate any of them. 
Yeah. But add the six new seats to the lower mainland where they're needed because of population increase. So yeah. I think that's a, a reasonable compromise. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree get James here to say something. Yeah. I agree with you, Peter, but I, I guess I've mentioned it uh, a couple times. You know, at the end of the day, we can we can talk about the, you know, the representation and uh, making sure that these ridings aren't getting gerrymandered and making sure our we got the number of uh, elected representatives up here that we need. But at the end of the day, you know, we always got to remember that regardless of the politicians we elect, it seems to me that all the decisions are still made down in Victoria. And, you know, we're kind of not really represented in, in that respect, like all the ministries are down there. And one thing I think that we could, a real kind of concrete way to get more representation for the North is to get more decision-making power uh, on the regional level. So, like, forestry is a great example. And, you know, a lot of these reforestation policies are made down in Victoria, and they don't really pay attention to what we need or even, like, you know, what the landscape uh, is saying or what the ecology requires. And a lot of these people are out of touch down in Victoria making decisions in these big bureaucracies. And, you know, I'd like to see more, uh, I think, to get better democracy, I think we got to get more decision-making and there's a word for it that's kind of technical. It's called sub, uh, subsidiarity. And that's the concept that uh, decisions should be made by the people closest to the impact of those decisions. Uh, maybe you could argue that for, like, highway uh, maintenance and infrastructure. Um, you know, how, how we will school districts, for example, there we have our own governance over the school districts. But uh, there, there's other local things that we could get more local control over. Yeah, no, I, uh, I think that's an important point, right? You know, because... The issue, like, we're, we're talking about just the riding boundaries right here, but, you know, the riding boundaries don't really change the power relationships in the province. No. Uh, very, very, in any significant way. The bigger issue is, is of course, voter empowerment and also the, the what you're talking about, the, the regional empowerment and how do we bring that about. And uh, I, that's when we start looking at the really broader issues. The whole, the whole problem was, like, we have a party-dominated system uh, and, um, you know, sooner or later we need to look at these things and sort them out, right, and look at how we can empower individual voters, but also on a regional basis uh, uh, have, a, have more control over, um, you know, what's, what's taking place in our part of the province. You know, so I think, that's an, I think that's an important point. Herb, uh, if you got a thought on that? Yeah, I mean, uh, look, there's... Uh there's no doubt that it's uh, disproportionate. Some, I mean, Chaco Great Lake or Chaco Lakes um, uh, read, uh, district uh, under um, John Rust, uh, Rustad has um, seen its population drop uh, dramatically, and you can argue that's due to liberal um, policies in forestry uh, down to uh, 37,896. Uh, I think the average, uh, Peter, you said it was over 50,000. Uh, so, well, that, that was no. That was just a figure I, I, I put there just for example. Yeah, I mean, but a number. I looked at the number of Vancouver ridings are already well over fifty thousand. So you know, it's you know, it's it's sort of uh, is it poetic justice? I don't know, but um, uh, it's a reality that um, we have to face. And um, uh, is there is there any good reason to have? I mean, if you've depopulated an area of the province with your policies. Is there any real reason to keep that um, as a riding in, in a democratic society? I'm not sure there is. Well, I was just thinking that the uh, based on population and very little growth in population in the northern interior, I think the south is okay. 
but uh, there could be no change here for years to come. And at the same time, the population is growing in uh, in those other regions and growing in Vancouver. So, I mean, if we go along the lines of what they're thinking of, I could see where 17 could drop to 15 or less. Uh, so we got to find another way. And uh, like James says, maybe some way to have local representatives uh, involved in the decision-making. Well, I think one of the issues also is that, uh, you know, like uh, the rural areas in the north are very important uh, to the province as a whole. You know, you have the, the mills, the mines, the pipelines, the other workplaces that create a huge amount of value for the province. You know, on the other hand, um, you have a situation whereby, uh, you know, when people live in the rural areas there, like you don't get the same level of services like health, education, and other amenities, right? You know, so, you know, maybe for that sacrifice that, that people make in the rural areas, uh, maybe maybe uh, accommodation should be made in terms of the, the, the number of MLAs and making sure that uh, even though that is deviates below the uh, average number. You know, like, uh, these are all things that we have to look at and consider. It's a, it's a, d- a difficult issue because B.C. is so skewed population-wise. You know, like, so the, the northern half of the province and all this uh, it has very few ridings, and, uh, you know, the Vancouver, the greater Vancouver itself has a huge number of ridings. You know, so... Well, I think I think like uh, James here talking. I think like forestry is a great example of this imbalance, you know. And and not to repeat what I just said, but you got all the decision making over forestry happening in Vancouver. Like none none of those decisions are being made here locally. Uh, but yet, you know, our our community's got to bear the brunt of of these decisions. And you know, we could talk about that mill closure or the the production line closure there in Vanderhoof. Uh, what we lost seventy jobs there. And what do we get to say about it? We get to say nothing. You know, there's no accountability for what's going on, how these big mills can basically play with people's lives. And, you know, they they got rid of 70 jobs. Let's not forget they invested $14 million in another one of their production lines to basically remove more jobs, or which is to say we don't, the, of those 70 jobs, we don't know how many is to production decreases and how many is to automation. Um, but it's happening, right? These big companies are coming in, they're spending money, and people are losing their jobs. I mean, since 1997, we've lost a thousand direct mill jobs in Prince George alone. This is not even including bush jobs. And what do we get to say about it? We have two MLAs and versus what? How many down in the lower mainland? 50, 60 MLAs. So we're not really represented on the things that impact us. And we got to get our own kind of control over that regionally somehow. Yeah, okay, I, yeah, I agree, just like Peter, that. before you get into that, we're going to take a break and then I'll get back to you. Mothers Against Drunk Driving and Nationwide Insurance are committed to protecting families and communities from the devastating impact of underage drinking consequences. Did you know that studies show that kids who start drinking young are seven times more likely to be in an alcohol-related crash? MAD offers parents access, extensive resources, and download the free parent handbook at mad.org forward slash power of parents. Buckle your shoes, buy some running gear, and start your training to run, sprint, walk, or skip at the BMO Run for Hope. The BCSS Foundation is part of this year's run, and you can participate virtually or in person on Sunday, May 1st. Funds raised will go towards schizophrenia education, advocacy, and research. Registration and full details are available through the Ways to Give link at bcssfoundation.org. Join in to help out. The BMO Run for Hope, May 1st, virtually or in person. 
Two Rivers Gallery invites local artists to submit proposals for an original mural design for their wild side space. The wild side is a family-friendly area, open to all, but mainly geared toward children. Located on the second floor of the gallery, it's filled with activities that encourage curiosity, exploration, and learning through play. Submission and other details about the mural are available through Two Rivers Gallery. The Two Rivers Gallery Wildside Mural Call to Artists. Submission deadline is 5 p.m. April 1st. The Polaris Music Prize, presented by CBC Music, has revealed its plans for 2022. The event will kick off with their 40-album long list on June 14th, followed by the 10-album short list on July 14th. The winning album, receiving the prize of $50,000, will be revealed during the Polaris Gala on September 19th. For more information on the 2022 Polaris Music Prize, visit their website, polarismusicprize.ca. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. Peter, did you just want to finish what uh, you were yeah, talking about? Like the, the thing is, um, I think one of, the, one of the problems, you know, just getting to what James is saying there, one of the problems is, is that the, uh, the idea is put forward that somehow the current electoral process and the way that we do things is frozen in time for all time. And I think that's a mistake, right? Because, um, in fact, B.C., when it first started off, we didn't even have party, uh, party-based uh, governance, right? You, you elected independent MLAs to, the, to Victoria. It got changed around in the early 1900s back to, uh, or to a party system. But we have to look and, uh, at the situation today and, and look at uh, how do we empower voters. Like many people feel alienated by the process. They feel alienated as individual voters. They feel alienated on a regional basis. You know, like we feel it up here, like uh, as James is talking about, alienated from the decisions in Victoria. So we have to we have to consider looking at the overall structure and how, how we can change things and and move things ahead in terms of um, making it more democratic and in, and making it so that people are more empowered and it doesn't lie in the hands of bureaucrats or, or party insiders or whatever. Well, we can get a situation also where we got uh, <clears throat> the government in power, but we elect two MLAs in the opposition, and uh, or maybe three. So th- at that point, we got a lot less representation. So you know, it's not it's not a good thing. And I agree with James that uh, it's taken Daco Mines for an example. It shut down. I don't know, seven years ago or something, and I haven't heard a word about it since. At the time, it was shutting down. It was supposed to be temporary. Their other company that produces the same product in the United States, I don't think, shut down at all. So we had no discussion around that at all. Uh, somebody should be discussing it. I want to, one thing I should just add before we uh, go is that, uh, you know, the Electoral Reform Commission uh, is going to be touring the province. And um, I think uh, if, if people are interested, there's going to be public hearings. I'm sure they're going to be in Prince George in the north, and there's going to be announcements about them, right? But, uh, but in the past, uh, as far as I know, anyone can make a submission to the commission about what they think about the electoral boundaries in the region and the province as a whole. So uh, if people are interested, they, they should definitely join the debate. Yeah, I agree. Herb, anything to say on that? Uh, yeah, and one, one thing that I take issue with Peter is that, um, you know, he, he implied that the mills up here uh, uh, provide uh, revenue to the government so that we should get special consideration. I mean, if you actually look at the numbers uh, in the past five years, 
uh, Ministry of Forest has spent over $470 million a year fighting fires. Uh, according to the uh, head of Kofi, um, the uh, 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 industry actually only contributed uh, $400 million to uh, B.C. in 2020. So, you know, it's um, the, the more you look at it, you can make the argument, in fact, that um, uh, the forest industry actually is, is uh, a parasite on the taxpayers of B.C. And um, what we actually need is not more representation, because they obviously have been um, co-opted or coerced. I mean, up till last year, John Restad was still calling for uh, lower stumpage fees. Uh, we need uh, competition in the forest um, uh, industry. We need um, um, we need we need people to be able to access this wood and uh, develop local uh, local businesses and um, and we have to we have to take back the industry uh, on that basis. It's it's an economic argument. It's not a political argument. You know, actually, uh, just kind of related to that, Herb. Remember when uh, the leadership, liberal leadership, there was happening? Mike Morris said that. Uh, Kevin Falcon, if you want a leadership, he'd bring up a ministry to Prince George, I think the Ministry of Biodiversity or something. So it'd be interesting to see what the, if that's still in their, going to be in their, their platform. Um, but, you know, you, you raised a good point about the lack of competition in the industry. And, and you know, you make an argument that it's an economic issue, but you can solve those economic issues with political structures. And, you know, just an example, we had the tenure up in Fort Nelson was Canfor sold that through a non-competitive sale to an associated company basically a proxy company called uh, Peak Renewables which is run by Brian Fair uh, who's a longtime Canfor associate and you know I made a complaint to the Federal Competition Bureau in Ottawa about this because I felt that the local uh, people aren't going to benefit from this deal and like why do I have to talk to somebody in Ottawa about this like how come we can't kind of manage and make sure there's competition in our own industry here locally so something else yeah, to think about yeah but again, but again you know the the answer is is uh is free enterprise we have to have competition <clears throat> the fact that um 20 percent only 20 percent of the wood in this province is put up for auction is a disgrace you got to have uh, basically all wood put up for auction there should be upset bids like they used to be yeah. for for all all wood auctions or all wood sales so, you know, if, if the established uh, companies can't provide the best return to the taxpayer, then they should lose out to another another uh, company that can. But you're not going to so, have bidding if all three pulp mills in your town are owned by the same company. Well, you know what? If there's another industry that can come along and pay more more money for that wood than, uh, than the pulp mill, then they should they should be allowed to uh, utilize that resource. Just one, for one comment I wanted to make about what Herb said. I- I, I, I know you or I see your point, uh, Herb, but at the same time, when we look at the, the value that is created through the labor of sawmill workers and contractors and so on, there's a huge amount of value created. Now, how much the provincial government gets and siphons off and how much uh, the uh, companies siphon off is another issue. But the fact is is that the, the workers uh, and uh, contractors and others uh, like a town like Mackenzie creates a huge amount of value that goes somewhere, whether it's Victoria or into the coffers of the uh, multinational companies. And that's my whole point there is that, uh, that that's very important that that take place and that, and that we have uh, the services, amenities, and also the representation that uh, people in the rural areas deserve. 
I know the uh, interesting point is that maybe we should be looking at is uh, what did they do in Australia? You know, I know they got those huge writings, or at least they used to have out in the, out in the outback, and uh, I know they seen it as a huge problem for representation, but I never did hear whether they resolved the problem or not. So maybe we put that on the back burner for another day. I'm going to get a quick comment from each one of the guys here, and then we'll call it a day. We'll start with James. Yeah, I think just to conclude, I, I think uh, we'd get more local representation and more democracy if we did something like uh, had a locally accountable district forestry office. Let's let's vote for the district forester. Uh, I think that would be a huge uh, boon to local democracy and local control over our, our future. Go ahead, Peter. Uh, well, yeah, the two, two things. Uh, Number one, I think it's a good idea for people to come out to the commission and to engage in the debate and put forth their views. And uh, the more discussion we have on these kinds of things, the better. You know, so that's uh, about the electoral boundaries uh, part of things. But I also think the second part, which we've been talking about here, is that we also have to have discussion about the overall, about how to empower um, individual voters and how, how to empower regions like ourselves in terms of... Uh, the economy and the politics of the province. So I think that's... Is that it? Yeah. Okay, Herb, we got a few seconds left if you want to say something. Yeah, I mean, basically, I think a lot of the problems in this district or this area has to come from forestry, the lack of forestry reform. We have to take a serious look at, uh, at forest policy, forestry policies in this province, and we have to uh, amend them, and we have to go to the way of, of more competition and free enterprise, and that's the basis of the, the wealth in this area. Okay, don't and be, gonna have to yeah. cut you off, Peter. Okay. Or, uh, <laughs> anyway, I want to thank everybody for coming on today, and uh, it was a good show, and I think we can honestly say we don't want government by 1-800 numbers. After 9 is a daily presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Echo Wiley, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. You're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 on the FM dial. CFIS-FM is owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society.